Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Terrence Maligon. Uh, three guests this week. First up is a little bit of a mini roundtable. Lance Pugmire is a senior writer covering boxing for The Athletic, previously spent two decades at the LA Times as their lead boxing writer. He is joined by Mike Coppinger, who's a staff writer covering boxing for The Athletic. Mike uh, previously covered boxing for USA Today and Ring Magazine. And uh, we have a, a roundtable on what it is like covering boxing in 2019. The joys, the challenges, who the most important people are in the sport, how transparent people are. So I think you're going to enjoy that. Obviously, if you're a boxing fan, you definitely will enjoy it. But uh, even if you're not, uh, it's just interesting uh, getting a little insight into this sport. They're followed by Chad Finn, who's a regular on this podcast, the sports media writer and columnist of the Boston Globe. Chad uh, discusses Sunday Night Baseball, which uh, has not really been particularly popular, I think, for the majority of the viewers. And uh, the major changes in his market for sports radio at WEEI, where longtime sports talk host Jerry Callahan in the morning will no longer be on that show that uh, he uh, co-helmed for 20 years. So Lance Pugmire, Mike Coppinger, and Chad Finn all coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, Mike Coppinger is a staff writer covering boxing for The Athletic. Prior to working at The Athletic, he formerly covered the sport for USA Today and Ring Magazine. You may have seen him on uh, television for Fox ESPN+. Plus. Lance Pugmire is a senior writer covering boxing for The Athletic. He previously spent 19 years at the Los Angeles Times as their lead boxing writers. If you are a boxing fan, you obviously know both of these gentlemen. Uh, if you are not into boxing, I hope you find this really interesting because they cover certainly one of the most fascinating sports. And Mike Coppinger and Lance Pugmire joined me on the Sports Media Podcast. Guys, I know you're in Los Angeles or you're in California somewhere, so you, you've gotten up very early for me for free. I, I appreciate this very much. <laughs> no problem. Happy to do it. You got it. Yeah, and just remember the free part. There will be no per diem for this interview. It's just it's only content. All right, let's, um, I'm going to start off with an open-ended question. Let's start with you, Lance, and then we'll go to Mike. So op- very open-ended here. What's the most enjoyable thing about covering boxing in 2019? What's the most challenging thing about covering boxing in 2019? I think the most enjoyable thing for me is that at, you know my years of, of service, my years of covering the sport has allowed me to basically know everyone in the sport. And so the ability to get anyone on the phone over any given situation that's happening. I think that, um, you know, with everything that's going on in the, uh, the heavyweight division being revived, the interest in the, uh, the welterweight division, everything that's going on with Canelo Alvarez, there's so much news right now. And when you add in the involvement in recent years of ESPN and the zone, there's more coverage of the sport on television and streaming than there's ever been. And so I feel like, you know, completely connected to the sport. And I think that, you know, the, the interest is there for readers. So it's, it's very, it's very nice to be able to, um, whenever I can provide the, you know, the most up-to-date information on what's going on in the sport. Uh, the, the most challenging uh, part of it obviously is that it's so spread out over the world. You know, you've got uh, different time zones and different people to deal with. So it can be, um, it can be somewhat um, complicated trying to, you know, be everywhere. I think as a, as a reporter, you want to be at every uh, site and every venue in person, uh, and that's just not possible in, in boxing. So uh, I think sometimes some of that that personal touch that you 
the other beat writers are able to enjoy. We kind of have to do it from a distance. So for me, that's a little bit of a challenge because I want to be as connected as, as, as I possibly can be. Mike, same for you. I think the best part about covering boxing in 2019 is the ease and access to all the fights you have on television and streaming platforms. It used to be that, you know, you had HBO showing a fight or two a month, Showtime showing another fight, and some Friday night fight shows in between with the lesser guys, and they would show two or three fights. Now you have, starting last year with The Zone and ESPN+, they show the entire undercards, and you can really get a, a good look at these prospects that last mentioned when we can't be at the fights, especially since boxing is like the one true global sport. Um, you can see all these guys fighting on the platforms when we're not out there. And yeah, also like Lance said, the access, you know, both Lance and I are in Los Angeles. I'm in Marina del Rey and I go to the boxing gyms constantly. I want, you know, it's why I watched Matty Pacquiao spar last week, went to a uh, buddy McGirt's gym the day after in Northridge and watched uh, a good middleweight prospect named Austin Amber Williams spar. I think that's really valuable for learning the sport and seeing who's coming up. So um, it's a really exciting time right now with, like Lance mentioned, the, the renaissance of the heavyweight division with the four-headed monster of Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, and Andy Ruiz. And it's really reinvigorating the sport. And you know, the competition as that's coming into it, too, between the zone versus ESPN versus Fox slash Showtime with the PBC. So I think the, the competition is bringing a lot of quality. Um, I think the worst part about covering boxing in 2019, you know, I've really been focused on breaking news. And I think, um, you know, everyone in boxing acts like anything is a state secret. You know, you see Woj, I think he's really attracted a ton of interest and helped the NBA with all the stories he breaks, you know, whether it's Woj or Shams. And people love following free agents more than they do the games. And when you try to do that in boxing, people get so upset and they act like everything is, you know, guarded, guarded in complete confidentiality, even when it's just a guy fighting another guy. So I think that's challenging for me, trying to sit through who's lying, and usually it's everyone, <laughs> and uh, who's telling the truth. <laughs> huh. Mike, uh, let's stick with you here, and then I'll go to Lance. Who are the most important people on your beat? And that could be, you could go as wide as, Fighters, promoters, uh, the television people, understanding everybody's important. Who are, for you, sort of the, the people that you, you have to at least maintain some kind of either uh, access with or at least have a pulse of? Well, that's another incredibly unique thing about boxing. I would say perhaps the most important person on the beat is Al Heyman, who is the manager and the guy who runs the PBC, which is by far the best roster in boxing, which is the group that supplies fights both Fox, FS1, and Showtime. And Al Heyman, as boxing people know, doesn't speak to the media and hasn't for 20 years. There's no <laughs> way to talk to him. Right. If you see him in person, he's polite and will say, hey, how's it going? But he walks very quickly. He's very lanky. He walks very quickly in person and tries to get by you. And, you know, no one speaks to him. If you're a media member, you just don't talk to him, you know? And it's, it makes things hard because, you know, he's easily one of the you know, top one, one or two biggest guys on the beat. Other than him, Bob Arum, who is an absolute legend. He's 87 years old, a Hall of Fame promoter, and, you know, just last week alone, he went to Kazakhstan, Moscow, Osaka, Tokyo. He's going to Maryland now in the D.C. area. Then he's going to head to Texas. He's going to be in Belfast next month. He has a crazy schedule. And Lance and I at any time can call Bob up on the cell phone, and he will answer. 
And if he doesn't answer, he'll call back right away, which uh, I really appreciate. Uh, other than Al Heyman and Bob Arum, um, I think Floyd Mayweather is still an important piece of the game, considering um, he's by far the biggest name in boxing, even if he is retired or semi-retired, uh, depending on who you uh, talk to and who you believe. Um, outside of that, I think Oscar De La Hoya is important, and um, you know many of the fighters. Deontay Wilder is one of the, the top guys right now, the heavyweight champion, and um, I, I you know I, I think it's I think it's hard to navigate at times the sport, but I think Heyman's got to be at the top. Lance, same for you. Who are the people on your beat who are vital for you, um, given some kind of daily, weekly contact? Yeah, I, I would agree with all those names that Mike just uh, uh, mentioned. Uh, obviously, you know, you can't get Heyman, so the next best thing are the promoters that uh, work for him, which is Tom Brown here in Southern California and Lou DiBella on the East Coast. Um, in addition to that, you know, you want to have you want to have great uh, rapport with the uh, with the fighters, but sometimes, you know, and this happens. I think this is the interesting thing uh, that Mike would agree with as well is that even though we want the relationships with the promoters. Sometimes the things we write uh, leave us, you know, to fall out of the good graces with these people. There's times that they will not pick up the phone and they will not call us back. I mean, that has happened with all of these, uh, all these people that we've mentioned. Um, another guy that I would mention that is, uh, you know, uh, climbing the ranks is, is Eddie Hearn in, in the UK with, with uh, the heavyweight Anthony Joshua and several other fighters. He has become a, a, a very much a, a, an important, prominent voice. But um, going back to that to that point, it's like, you know, we want to have uh, great connections, like, you know, having being able to have breakfast with Manny Pacquiao like we, we were able to do uh, recently was is very important. But there's times like with Canelo Alvarez, he stopped talking to me for, you know, several months after I reported on his uh, positive uh, uh, steroid test last year. And, you know, it makes it problematic, but you just do the best you can. Um, you talk to everyone around the, the fighter and, um, and try to get as much information as you can. But um, um, those things are going to happen. And I think that, you know, I, from our standpoint, especially here at The Athletic now, I think Mike, me and Mike are both uh, in the same boat on this. It's kind of like a badge of honor. If someone is not talking to you or you're locked out, you probably have done the right thing in regards to being a, re a reporter and a journalist. Lance, um, I realize this is very, very uh, broad because there are so many people who are in the sport. But as a general rule, how transparent do you find the fighters to be, the promoters to be, the network executives who put on the fights to be, or are there different levels of transparency depending on the different players in the game? Yeah, there's definitely different levels of transparency. I mean, obviously, we know that there's a lot of lying in boxing. And it's that the lying, for the most part, is done by the promoters or the, uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, network executives, stuff like that, who are sort of trying to either put you off or mislead, mislead you in some ways or at least spin their, uh, their story the way that is best fit for their fighter or their promotion. But I think when it comes to the fighters themselves, you uh, you know, having covered you know so many of the other sports, I would I would say for sure that boxers are the most transparent of all athletes. There's not that yes, while there's you know PR people around them, they are not around them all the time. And so I think like Mike was saying, just going to a gym. I you know right before Andy Ruiz left for 
to, to upset Anthony Joshua. I walked into his gym in Norwalk, California, and it was only him, his assistant trainer, and a few other fighters in there. And Andy was like a complete open book about any subject that I, we wanted to talk about. And I think that's the gift that keeps on giving when it comes to boxing coverage. And I think, you know, not to, to um, you know, tout us too much, but I think that that is going to be uh, the great thing that, that's going to allow the, cover, the boxing coverage that we've undertaken here at The Athletic to become, you know, uh, so much better than what you can see anywhere else because we can go so much deeper and really get into these people's lives and tell their stories the way that they fully deserve to be told. Mike, uh, Lance just sort of hit on something that has been historically, I think, one of the best things about boxing, and that's the ability to get to the best fighters or the best people in the sport and have that kind of access. Sports Illustrated, my old employer, really made its bones with guys like George Plimpton, et cetera, getting you know, these, this incredible access to the Ali's and people like that. I realize times are different. It's 2019, but are you, do you agree with Lance that like you can get the kind of access for the top fighters in the world where if you sort of thought of the parallel, like basketball or football, it would be inconceivable. I mean, absolutely. But it also all depends on relationships too. I mean, there are certain guys that I'm closer with, of course, and then certain guys Lance is closer with, um, but I mean, yeah, I, last, just last week alone, I was at, I was at wildcard gym on Thursday. I watched Manny Pacquiao spar eight rounds, uh, spoke to Manny beforehand while he wrapped his own hands in the dressing room. And yeah, I think that's pretty, um, pretty great access to watch a guy spar like that. Um, most people I can, you know, I, I spoke to Dillian White over the phone, the heavyweight contender last week from England. Most guys you can get over the phone easily or like Lance said, really get in depth. I mean, I'll have a story for the athletic this week on a super middleweight champion, Caleb plant. I spent like two hours with him in Las Vegas a month ago. So that kind of stuff is great. And yes, we do see some great access in other sports too, but I think it's more, I think it's easier to get them. I don't always have to go through a publicist necessarily, or the official channels to get to these fighters. You know, I, I talked to a lot of the fighters over DM on Instagram, even, uh, but also going back to Lance's point about the transparency, I wanted to touch on something. I think that transparency really varies depending on how good your relationship is. I have many sources who I know don't lie to me ever. Then there's other guys that are usually telling the truth unless it comes to something that they really have to closely guard. Like Bob Arum's fairly honest, but the biggest story I ever broke was Top Rank's deal with ESPN in 2017. Top Rank was with HBO at the time. No one knew they were leaving, and I found out about this. So when I had the story all buttoned up that Top Rank was, you know, go, entering into an exclusive partnership with ESPN and leaving HBO, I called Bob Arum on a, I think it was a Saturday morning, and I said, hey, Bob, you know, hope all is well, but I know about your deal with Top Rank, and I'm going to break the story. And then he paused for a second, and then he goes, Mike, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, you know, your deal with ESPN. And then he proceeded to tell me how, you know, we're good friends, so he really wants to, he wants to look out for me, and I'm going to be making a huge mistake if I run this story. And he's really trying to help me out. But please, you know, don't do this. You're just going to make a fool out of yourself. And, you know, I stuck to my guns. I ran the story, and I was right. Um, you know, no hard feelings. But another time was last year when I was, you know, I had found out from a couple of different sources that Canelo Alvarez was going to sign an exclusive uh, 10-fight deal with the zone. And I contacted Eric Gomez at Golden Boy, and I said, hey, you know, I, I went into it a little bit, what, what I knew. 
And he was like, no, 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 not true at all. Still talking to many different uh, parties about Canelo's next uh, deal. And then three days later, it was announced, you know? Lance, uh, this gets into the, um, the topic of the networks that air boxing. And now there are a ton of them, you know, ESPN, uh, ESPN Plus, you know, the, the Showtimes of the world. The networks are obviously now a place where you have to write about cover in terms of sort of the boxing element. Um, that's an interesting world to me. That sort of gets a little bit into my world. And I find that when it comes to boxing, the networks are more apt to, for lack of a better word, to leak or to at least sort of try to agenda you a little bit as a reporter. Because at the end of the day, they want publicity and they want to try to bring as many people, many eyeballs into boxing as they can. How have you found... Um, how have you found that part of your job the, when you are dealing with media entities that, um, that put on boxing matches? Well, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great question. And obviously, I think you would uh, uh, know a little bit more about it than me even. But I would say that, you know, look, I, I think that the thing that I've had to adjust to is that I had established sources at HBO and Showtime people that were very helpful and uh, beneficial to my coverage of the sport. And I would say it's not exactly the same deal right now. Yes, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty good with the zone, uh, but ESPN obviously, where are they going to take their news? You know, um, uh, Fox is um, they're okay, but I think I get more information by dealing with the uh, uh, the people around the, the fights and the fights that are being made than I do the networks. So it has it has definitely tweaked, um, you know, how we cover the sport. Mike may have a different take on this but I feel like there was sort of like this institutional knowledge that was in play previously with those established networks. And now it's like, we're, you know, kind of building those uh, relationships from square one. And it's, uh, it's just uh, not exactly the same. Um, you know, it's interesting too, because it's interesting to see how and what Al Heyman is thinking, because um, he's taken, he's taken a lot of fights away from, the established premium network of Showtime and put them on network television, which fought with Fox, which makes a lot of sense, but it's uh, this established entity that has been so supportive of the sport has kind of been left out of the cold, at least so far this year. And so that's going to be something to watch. To me, it's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch is how long is this, uh, is this, uh, you know, lukewarm treatment of Showtime going to last and ultimately how are they going to respond if this continues to be the norm. Interesting. Mike, I want to ask you about the zone because they have obviously um, entered the market as a, uh, as a significant player. They're trying to be a disruptor. I think all of us on this uh, call will agree. The zone will very liberally uh, try to tell reporters essentially everything that is going on with them. And then it is up to reporters to decide how much of that is news and how much of that is the zone PR. But I find that very interesting. Uh, I find them interesting in the sense that they, they, they have, um, you know, they have principally made boxing their way in terms of getting into the American sports fans' uh, mind and particularly their pocket. Uh, how do you view dis- working with the zone, or maybe working is a little strong there, Mike? How do you view uh, covering, dealing with the zone, and just sort of what the zone has done over the last uh, twelve to sixteen months in terms of boxing in America? Yeah, the zone has done a really great job of, like you said, disrupting. I mean, they they pretty much took 
the guys HBO had, their two biggest stars, Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin, they have them. They have a lot of the same producers working for them, a lot of the same people. Um, and, it's, you know, it's going it's to be a loss leader for them. I, I think they're, I've always strongly believed that they're using boxing as a cheap barrier to entry in order to get, make a play and build the subscribers up to the point where they can really make a serious bid on NFL Sunday ticket and stuff of that nature, or whether it's a red zone for a different sport, like the way they've done with MLB. Um, I have good relationships with the zone, but honestly, and this goes across all uh, networks and with, within boxing, when I break news on a fight, it's very rarely somebody telling me, actually leaking it to me. Usually I'm hearing it from some kind of, some kind of back channels or somebody who talks to someone and then they feed it to me. It's very rarely that someone from like a, you know, I don't think it's ever happened where someone from the zone or like, you know, Showtime or Fox said, oh, this is the fight that's happening. Promo this fight. And I wish they would because it would make my job a lot easier and Lance's job too. <laughs> but almost always, you know, I have, you know, I have a network of sources and they'll hear something from someone and uh, that person doesn't know, but they tell, you know, then they end up telling me. But, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the way I break news. Lance, um, your thoughts, uh, your sort of overall thoughts on um, on DAZN, their sort of goal to try to disrupt the you know boxing establishment, and just you know where you see their place right now in the uh, in your particular landscape. Well, to me, it's a very interesting time for them right now because look, they told me uh, uh, John Skipper said, look, we're trying to get to a million su- subscribers by the end of the Gennady Golovkin fight, which was in June. And uh, that fight came and went, and there was no word from the zone that they reached the million subscribers. So I know that there's been some uh, uh, reports out there that they have, but I don't believe that they have. And they've they've still got some work to do in their grand experiment of, uh, like Mike said, using boxing as the uh, you know, which is notoriously a cheap sport to uh, purchase and be involved with, and using that as the entryway into the other major sports. But now we're sitting here and they you know, the fight that they really wanted was the third um, Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin fight. And it's looking as if there's uh, major difficulties in getting that fight to take place. So Canelo has, has options to um, uh, fight a couple other gu- different guys. And he definitely has put it out there that he's, he's not necessarily interested in fighting Gennady Golovkin right now. He'd like to put that fight off until May. So that, you know, that hurts the zone. And it's it's interesting that he would make that decision after they invested a, a, a ten fight three hundred and fifty million dollar uh, deal, you know, into him. So um, the zone is is uh, looking at you know other fights, and they're, they they always have their eyes open about trying to uh, link in with uh with with other guys. They have a, a a decent fight coming up here at the end of the month with uh, Jose Ramirez and Maurice Hooker, a, a one hundred forty pound unification. But that's going to do nowhere near what um, Canelo and Triple G will do. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be, you know, I, I I think you can see them sweating a little bit and uh, sort of twisting in the wind right now as they wait for Canelo to hopefully do the right thing uh, by them. Lance, I want to stick with you, and this is something um, I'm quite looking forward to hearing your answers on, and that's boxing Twitter. I'm obviously not part of that. You two guys are. I'm sure you hear from you know, all different, uh, camps. I think Rafe wrote a piece on this, uh, um, uh, this week, in fact, or last week, what, what I read about sort of just how some people sort of within the world of boxing Twitter think like reporters are anti Al Heyman. And it was really fascinating just to sort of get a little glimpse into that world. Um, 
my advice to you guys would be never get a glimpse into the sports media Twitter world. It, it, <laughs> is, a, it, it is a shit show and a half. Uh-uh. Um, so how, so Lance, uh, how would you define boxing Twitter? That's again, sort of a very overview question. Yeah. I mean, I think that boxing actually, you know, for, for me having spent so much time also covering uh, the UFC for when I was with the LA times for uh, the better part of 10 years, I would say for me, boxing Twitter is actually not that bad because the MMA uh, Twitter world is just uh, hellacious, you know. I mean, those people are just uh, merciless, and they were, uh, you know, downright uh, evil and mean at, at, at points. Um, so for me, boxing is covering boxing. I really don't have that much, uh, that many nightmare stories to share. I would say that this, you know, kind of, my policy is is if there's like a specific question, like uh, you know, I've I left something unanswered in one of my stories, and they want uh, a reader wants to know a little bit more about that then I think it's okay to engage that reader and an- try to answer that question and, and have like good conversation about the sport. But anytime someone is going to stoop to, um, you know, pretty negative levels, I really don't want to uh, get involved in that. I mean, there is a uh, Twitter is a, is a way for us to uh, promote our work, promote our stories, promote um, the uh, extra information that we want to pass along. But um for me, anyways, I, Mike may feel different on this, and I think that Mike is a little bit more engaging with uh, the Twitter, um, the Twitter people. But I, I always feel like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, sink to that level. I'm not gonna do it. You know, I'm, I'm here trying to, to do my best to report on a sport and give you information. Uh, you know, and I pride myself on having like, you know, as little of a, of an agenda as possible. So I don't think that it's, uh, you know, it's not like I want to get into this biased, um, opinionated uh, conversation with you because that's just not who I am. I'm, I, I'm a reporter and I'm trying to, uh, you know, do my job as, as, as best as I can. And I, I just don't want to sink to where uh, I feel like the Twitter world wants to take us sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Lance and I definitely consume social media in different ways. You know, we're parts of different generations, so no surprise. Um, and Lance is probably doing it the smarter way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, when I was in, uh, I was in a sports journalism class at George Mason in 2009, and I remember my professor then said, you know, Twitter is going to be huge. And like, I was like, all right, you know, I didn't really know if I believed him, but I got on Twitter in 2009, so I was even a big boxing fan then, and I, had been, I was actually interned at USA Today that fall and was doing boxing at USA Today as an intern. So I've been tweeting for a long time, and, I, you know, as a 22-year-old doing it, I, 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 you, would, you would tweet just whatever, tweet your opinion about the fights. And um, now I, I break most of my news on Twitter. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great tool for that. When, uh, boxing fans are some of the absolute worst trolls possible. I mean, if you, I've certainly had some bad scores. I'll admit that for fights. And if you have one bad score, I mean, you'll get 200 replies telling you, you know, you know, telling you to die and to go that you're stealing, you're stealing a living and all sorts of that stuff. I mean, if you have a bad opinion about a British fighter, the Brits are absolutely merciless. They go nuts on you, call you every name under the sun. You're a dosser, all sorts of things. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, like Lance, Lance doesn't really engage. I, I, I used to engage a lot with these people, uh, to my, probably to my detriment. You know, I would offer opinion a lot, and I had strong opinions, and that would uh, really fan the flames. And there's really these, these camps on Twitter. 
you know, there's Floyd Mayweather, people who love Floyd Mayweather, and you can do no wrong. There's people who hate Floyd Mayweather. There's Manny Pacquiao has a legion of, of fanboys, they call them. Um, there's, there's certainly the people, well, I would say the majority of people hate the PBC, and then there's these, you know, as Rafe pointed out, those got few guys who do uh, staunchly defend them. But, um, yeah, I find that Twitter is a cesspool. Uh, but it's also a valuable tool to learn what f- readers and fans are thinking and looking for. Ooh, I like that, Mike. The, the scoring of the fights, I think, to me, is the, is the ultimate uh, thing that I'm talking about. Because, look, here we are. All, we're only trying to provide a service to the people who maybe can't be in front of a TV watching the fight. Like, here's what we think uh, is how the fight's developing. There's absolutely not one, you know... Um, across the bear here and it's like they they feel like we have this agenda of like like i scored the deontay wilder tyson fury uh fight for wilder he knocked him down twice and he threw more power punches and he you know to me he was he was the one who uh was throwing the more forceful blows you know nothing against tyson fury i think tyson fury's a fine guy but it was like wow the world comes crashing down on you you know <laughs> yeah twitter i mean is really i think one of the greatest and worst inventions of uh of our time, but, uh, but we all need it, uh, for our job. So it is, it is at least here for us to stay. All right. A couple more here. Um, one of the things that, uh, um, that always interests me are podcasts that are non NBA, non NFL, maybe non college football, because I feel like there's so much growth in the podcast space when it comes to the, uh, you know, like for lack of a better phrase, like kind of the niche, sports we're, we're really overweighted with the nba i mean there's some amazing nba podcasts out there but there's you know there's a million of them it feels like so how um are there i, I have, i'm really you you guys should educate me on this we'll start with you lance how uh, active is the podcast space for boxing are there a couple of leaders in the space and do you see more growth for that yeah actually uh, great question i don't even know if you knew about it but me and mike are going to be starting our own podcast um, here this week from Las Vegas for the Manny Pacquiao Keith Thurman fight. So we hope to, you know, we hope to uh, become the industry leader on the, on what there is out there uh, for a boxing podcast. Obviously, uh, um, my friend, my good friend Chris Mannix has a, a, a great boxing podcast that he does, and uh, you know, it, to me, that's like the best one out there right now. I don't know how you feel about that, Mike, but I think that he does a great job. He has uh, great connections and access to. Uh, some of the top fighters and people in the world, as we do. And I think we ultimately will try to incorporate uh, some of those uh, people's voices into our podcast as well. But I think that's the, the best way to do it. I think if you can have a, a great conversation, uh, not only about current things like a, an upcoming fight, but subjects that are going on, like we just did a story on why Nevada is losing fights, to have a, you know, go in a little bit deeper and having conversations about some other multiple subjects about that, I think would only is only going to further boost the sport. And like I said, I think that it, we're striking at a time that is ideal given given all of the network and involvement right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like Lance said, I definitely like Chris Mannix's podcast the best. I've been a guest many times on there. I think Chris is a great interviewer, and he really touches on some uh, interesting subjects with these fighters. And you know, these fighters are very revealing. Uh, other than that, um, Evan Ruthkowski, who worked at HBO for a long time, has a podcast that looks at the, the TV side and business side of boxing, which is pretty interesting. And um, other than that, I really can't think of many podcasts that I actually enjoy or listen to. Yeah, it's not a podcast, but the commish, 
uh, Randy Gordon and Jerry Cooney have a, a good, uh, very good boxing talk show on Sirius XM that uh, runs, uh, I believe, weekly, and they do it. They do a very good job of you know talking about these subjects and bringing in guests as well. Yeah, I like that one too. Lance, um, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, Mike, you have as well. Um, and how do I sort of phrase this? There are clear, clearly millions of boxing fans, but the sport, the base of fandom in the sport is clearly different than the NFL or the NBA or college football. Um, have you ever been concerned on the numbers of people interested in the sport vis-a-vis your ability to cover the sport full-time and you know, sort of earn a living wage? I I, I am inter- I'm always interested in people who cover niche sports. Uh, certainly, I would consider sports media what I do for the athletic niche. Like, I'm always interested if the, how those people sort of look at their content because it's very, very different than the NFL, which we know will be around long after all of us are gone. Right. You know, I think I bet, you know, if you listen to what I say here, I bet you agree with me because I think the standpoint, I'm coming from the standpoint of, like we, you know, we did it at the LA Times. Um, I remember right before Mayweather fought Pacquiao in 2015, my sports editor at the time, Angel Rodriguez, said, "We're going to take you off covering the Anaheim Ducks, and we're going to put you on boxing full time because you're in a, uh, we're in a region that is very, you know, it's full of uh, an impassioned boxing fans. So we need to cover the sport full time. And I think that from my standpoint, as I knew that it would work. Because I know, I knew the quality of the personalities around. I knew that the stories that were going to be so prevalent in the sport would be quality newspaper stories and, and, and very interesting reading, um, you know, for our subscribers. And I just, I, I was just certain that, you know, yes, there may only be X amount of major, uh, big fights per year. But it doesn't stop the uh, the ongoing, you know, very voluminous numbers of interesting personalities and significant enough fights to sink your teeth into and tell quality stories and make that interesting, you know, with by relying and banking on your own access to, you know, allow those allow those stories and that coverage to sing and to really shine and stand out above all the else, uh, everyone else, because, you know, look, it is, you do feel like you're, you know, kind of on a high wire sometimes when someone says to me, like, you know, like some, someone had me on a talk show one time and they said, you're the only, um, uh, full-time boxing writer in the country. It's like, whoa, how, how much longer is my job going to be here? But you know what? It's like, uh, I believe, I believe in what I, I can do. And I believe in, 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 in all of these stories that boxing has to offer that it is worth covering full-time and really uh, sinking our teeth into. Mike? Yeah, for me, it's a lot different. You know, for a long time, I didn't have a full-time job in boxing. I mean, I've been freelancing boxing for USA Today since 2010. Uh, I was in Montreal after college, and uh, Jean Pascal happened to be fighting for the light heavyweight title against Chad Dawson there, and I pitched it to USA Today. My editor, the boxing editor at the time, Bob Dellen, he, uh, he took it, and then since then, I was freelancing, and uh, I eventually took a full-time job at the NFL in Culver City and didn't start writing boxing, uh, making a full, like, making a living in it until, uh, actually, yeah, Mayweather Pacquiao. In May 2015, USA Today launched a boxing vertical. I went there. The boxing vertical lasted all of two years. Uh, I last time with Ring Magazine. Um, and now I see it in a different way. I see it as 
there are many people who cover boxing uh, full time, and it's a way to really separate yourself and try to like you know really own a sport like the way we I think we're doing it at the athletic, where you know it's easy. I think it's easier to stand out, right? If you're going to do quality work in a sport like boxing, because there's not many people that are actually covering it on a on a on a quality level. I do think there's always going to be interest, but I think the concerning thing to me is that there are many people I know that were staunch fans of boxing who no longer really follow it. And when you ask them why, it's the usual uh, answers. Too many titles, the best don't fight the best, uh, all the corruption and the bad decisions and the politics. And that's concerning to me because we have to at least keep the fans we have, especially if they're younger ones. And the boxing demo really uh, veers uh, on the older side. But I think, there, I think people are always going to be into fights. And there's a lot of people that are into fights that don't even know it yet. And hopefully, now that we have bo- major boxing back on ESPN and Fox, that we can start getting some of those fans back. Yeah, I think that, you know, and as, as much as uh, we both try to hold everyone accountable, uh, you know, for shenanigans that happen in this sport, I do believe, too, that there's a uh, part of the, you know, the people that follow boxing, they do love the drama. They do love the... Uh, you know, the, someone being wronged and then having the, the chance to gain revenge. I mean, all of that stuff, I, I believe, gets some of our strongest reactions. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. Last one for me, Mike. I'll, uh, you both can do this, but I'll start with you. Uh, you want to give a promo for your podcast coming up? What can people expect? Uh, what do you hope to, uh, you know, what, what do you hope to ultimately bring to those who want to invest the time to listen? Yeah, Lance and I will be doing the podcast every Monday, and then in certain tentpole fights, we'll have a preview fight and a post-fight uh, podcast. So we'll have the first episode. We're going to look for this Thursday. Lance and I will both be in Las Vegas for what I think is the biggest fight this year thus far, Manny Pacquiao against Keith Thurman uh, on Fox Pay-Per-View. We'll do a preview show on Thursday. We'll really, we'll really be, you know, get into the nuts and bolts of, uh, and use our ac- access to really – give fans a comprehensive look at what's going on behind the scenes. And then we'll come back right, right after the fight ends from the MGM media room Saturday night. And then again on Monday. And I think what we could do uniquely is we'll be able to really go into some of the news and maybe even some of the stuff we don't report, um, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Why, what kind of uh, recourse does the zone have if Canelo doesn't fight Golovkin or Sergey Kovalev, the two approved opponents. That kind of stuff, because there's really no other podcast doing that right now, in my opinion. Uh, and I think it'll be great. And Lance and I, have, you know, have been friends for years, and we have great chemistry. Lance, what's the name of the podcast? It's going to be called the Pugs and Cop Show, unless they've unless they've changed it, Mike. Right? It's, that's what it is. Yeah, that's it. And uh, you know, I, I agree. I agree with what Mike's saying. I mean, obviously, I I would hope that the fans, uh, you know, would understand this, and I think that they do is that we're not attached to anyone. We're, while you know you may get some kind of like boxing podcast that's from CBS, which is connected to Showtime, or ESPN, which is connected to those sites, you're not going to have any, you're not going to have to wonder about any kind of agenda that's going on. And believe me, there are a lot that happen in these sports, and we are uh, disconnected from all that. We're just here to cover the sport and be as thorough as possible. And, you know, obviously Twitter is a great opportunity for uh, any of our readers to send us questions about the things that they want us to talk about and answer the questions that you want answered. That's what we're here for. And we'll be happy to jump in on that starting Thursday. So that's the pug and cop. So P U G and C O P P. Yes. The pug and cop show, the pug and cop boxing, boxing show. show yep. And you know, I, I, I thought it would be fun to have a uh, pug in there because it's a, it's a boxing term, of course, but it's also a nickname. Nickname. So 
Yeah, I like that. All right. I'm always happy to see let you guys cut a promo on this podcast. I know Mike's a big wrestling fan, so I would try, try to use my wrestling ling- lingo as much as possible. All right. Lance Pugmire is a senior writer covering boxing for The Athletic, as I said at the top. He, uh, if you are a boxing fan, you know his uh, distinguished work from uh, two decades at the Los Angeles Times as their leading boxing writer. Mike Coppinger is a staff writer covering boxing for The Athletic. He previously covered the sport for USA Today and Ring Magazine. Uh, you can catch these guys certainly on Twitter. If you're a boxing fan there, must follow us. You're probably following them already. But uh, if for some reason you are not, uh, find them on Twitter and follow their work. Uh, Lance and Mike, I wish you nothing but the best of success with your uh, your work at The Athletic and the podcast. You know, The more subscriptions you bring in, the more it helps all of us. So uh, continued success and uh, and enjoy the expense reports that you have to file to our uh, bosses from Las Vegas and other parts in between. <laughs> Thanks, Richard, an honor. Thank you so much, Richard. All right, let's talk about Third Love. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their FitFinder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Third Love has more sizes than most other brands. They offer more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. You can skip the trip and find your fit with Third Love's online FitFinder, then order, and then try it at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. All right, let's talk about the uh, Fit Finder quiz. You answer basically a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date. It's actually fun and takes less than a minute to complete. Did you know that breast shape matters when finding a good fit? Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. The fit is 100% guaranteed. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Fit stylists are available every day via text, chat, or phone. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. It's hands down the most comfortable bra you'll own. Straps that won't slip and tagless labels. No itching. Lightweight, super thin memory foam cups mold to your shape and are proprietary to Third Love. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com Richard. That's thirdlove.com Richard. Now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your purchase, that's thirdlove.com Richard for 15% off. Thirdlove.com Richard for 15% off today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, before we get out of here, we're going to do uh, 10 or so minutes with Chad Finn. He is the sports media writer and columnist for the Boston Globe. He has been on this podcast many times. Chad, uh, good to hear you. Good to be with you again. Or appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Rich. So, Chad, I want to start with Sunday Night Baseball. I did not see last night's game. We're taping this on a Monday, so I didn't see the Dodgers and the Red Sox. But what I did see, Chad, 
is once again, uh, and again, let's let's be very careful here. Twitter is not uh, reflective of any kind of uh, overall uh, societal trends. It is just basically a snapshot and often a quick snapshot of um, of a you know, sort of a small sample size. That said, Chad, I think anecdotally, whether on social media or elsewhere, Sunday Night Baseball is not a very popular production. Like, I don't think I'm saying anything that's controversial. And whatever it is between the mix of Matt Baskersian, Alex Rodriguez, and Jessica Mendoza, it's not working for, in my opinion, for enough viewers. Um, yeah. If you go by social media, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's one step removed from Mussolini, basically. So I want to at least sort of be, you know, sort of, <laughs> I want I want to be realistic here. But do you, do you agree, Chad? And you obviously, you know, they were in your market yesterday, Boston. They do a lot of Red Sox games. It, it, it is not a popular broadcast for baseball fans, and I don't know what whether there is a catalyst to change that. And so either ESPN is going to be happy with those three and, and run them forever, or they're eventually, I think, going to listen to their audience and make a change. But, but it's, it's a bit of a mess right now. Do you agree? I do. And uh, it's interesting because it's kind of juxtaposed uh, against the constant push uh, for A-Rod as this uh, hugely popular figure. Now this, this, um, you know, guys remade his image completely since his the scandalous uh, last few years of his baseball career. And, uh, you know, Just Mendoza is, is uh, someone who, um, you know, they also have a pretty big PR push for. They have the last couple of years. And um, it, they, they've really had a, a huge amount of backing from ESPN and a huge amount of promotion from ESPN. And you'll see stories like the one Ben Ryder had in uh, SI a couple weeks ago talking about how A-Rod's changed his career, or you'll, you'll read it uh, somewhere else, but uh, I don't get that sense from fans, really, that uh, he's someone who's actually liked. And, you know, Mendoza gets the, the Neanderthal reaction still, and, you know, or I don't like a woman talking about baseball, or, or that sort of thing. And that you just have to disregard those people and, and, and judge her on, you know, how well she does. And, you know, it, it's hit or miss, I think, with her and with A-Rod. It's, you listen to the broadcast, it feels like he's constantly trying to tell you something that um, will make him look smart, but it's not necessarily something that adds to the broadcast. It's predicting something or uh, over-elaborating on, you know, some small play to make it seem a bigger deal than it is. Uh, and so the, the, there's not a lot of, I don't, I, I just don't think it has this real broad appeal uh, even though you're constantly sort of barraged with these stories about how how popular he in particular is now. Yeah, the one thing, and again, I, I'm the first to admit, I, I haven't watched a lot of Sunday Night Baseball recently, um, and that's sort of intentionally so. And, you know, part of that is obviously sort of timing. A lot of times I'm writing on Sunday night. But one of the things, uh, Chad, that I notice, I don't know if you agree or, or disagree, is they've clearly tried to make this a very conversational broadcast but I think yeah. they've gone pa- they've gone past whatever the line is on conversation, where it's just a barrage, at least in my opinion, of all of these guys, um, sort of coming at me. I am not a fan of Escursion as a play-by-play announcer. That's just subjective. I know people are. Uh, I, I I've liked a Rod in the studio. I don't like him nearly as much. Um, 
on the game broadcast. And I, I don't particularly think Mendoza is a great fit with those two. I, I just I think the broadcast is essentially centered around Alex Rodriguez. Um, and I guess if you're ESPN, I understand that marketing wise, he's he's the most famous person. But that that's my take, Chad. It's just I feel too I, I feel like I'm inundated by so many words and so much conversation that I'm turned off by their bro- that's just my sort of five second take is that's what turns me off is it's a little too much. Doesn't feel authentic. You know, they 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 want you to get the sense from them that they're friends and uh it's super casual and they they uh just sitting there enjoying talking about baseball and but it it, it still feels kind of mechanical or forced. It doesn't flow. Uh there was an inst- instance in Sunday night's game. It's pretty late in the game. Um, where Mendoza was talking about some rule change in baseball. I think she said, I may be wrong on this, but something along these lines. But she said uh, she's she's okay with the the suggestion that, that they were talking about using in minor leagues of putting a runner on second base to start extra innings. And she talked about that for a second, and then there was a little bit of silence, and then she said, what do you think, Alex? And he was like, uh, huh? Well, I don't like it. You know, it wasn't. It was almost like he needed to be prodded to talk about this. Uh, it felt like the topic itself at that point in the game was a little bit forced. And then on top of that, and I found this a real turnoff of the broadcast Sunday night, there were a lot of jokes about how long the game was taking and, uh, you know, fans, uh, fans leaving and how they kind of implied that they wish they could leave too. And one, yes, baseball games are too long. That was ridiculous. It was like the, it was roughly the length of, uh, uh, the men's Wimbledon final, you know, five hours and 17 minutes, which is nuts, but it was an extra inning game. It was a really well-played game, and yet you're there in extra innings, and the, the broadcasters are complaining about how long it takes. Uh, that's a bad look for baseball and uh, a bad look from, a, you know, one of your more well-known broadcast teams, prime broadcast teams, national television, two of the, the most uh, well-known teams in baseball, World Series rematch, and they're complaining that the game's taking too long. That's a bad look, and, and you want to get the sense that they love being there. They like hanging out with each other. Uh, they love doing this Dodgers-Red Sox game, and, and instead it felt like, uh, ha-ha, yeah, we're stuck here with you. And that was just a really bad vibe to give off, at, uh, given where baseball is right now. Yeah. Uh, lastly, the one thing I'll say is um, I would have – I think I said this at the time. I think ESPN had better options than Vascursion in-house whether it was uh, Boog Shambi or uh, Carl Ravitch. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah, both guys I think would have been. Uh, and I also think Jason Benetti is far and away a much better play-by-play person. Than, you know, again, far and away is probably a little too strong. Obviously, Vaskersian's done this a long time. He's a fine baseball. He, he can do the, 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 some, the logistics of it. But um, in terms of, for me, I, I enjoy Benetti more than I would Vaskersian. So we'll see what happens. They, uh I know they moved the start time up uh, earlier, so w- it'll be interesting yeah. to see if that has any um, if that has any impact on the viewership. As Chad and I both can tell you a million times, um, broadcasters don't impact viewership or ratings. They impact how you process, how you feel about the broadcast. But Alex Rodriguez isn't bringing one new person to the broadcast, and most likely, by the way, isn't turning anybody off to the broadcast either. What will determine that viewership number will be uh, matchups, and we'll see if the earlier start time does it. So, again, that's one to pay attention to. And there are people who watch much more baseball than me. I think that would be – or at least Sunday Night Baseball, I should say that. 
may have other opinions on that, uh, follow them. Uh, Chad, lastly, um, I do want to ask you, this is a very local story, but a very big story in your market, and that is uh, WEEI. Uh, Jerry Callahan will no longer be on that morning show, which he was on, I think, for 20 years. Uh, that was preceded by Kirk Minahan, who's been a guest on uh, this podcast, who is no longer in that market, now works for Barstool. Um, I've been a guest on that show. While I certainly could not be more uh, different than Jerry Callahan in terms of, uh, uh, well, forget about our politics. I think just a lot of our sports takes are very different. I always appreciated those guys were super professional with me whenever I was on the air, uh, even with Jerry and I's disagreement. I actually sat in in person once, uh, and I really enjoyed it. It, w- it was a cool experience to be in the same room and watch those guys do what they did. Uh, in terms of Minahan, Chad, um, I think I've told you this either on this podcast or, or offline. Uh, I, I think once, w, once he left that show, I think it was inevitable that the numbers were going to go down. Whether you like Kirk Minahan or not, he's pretty unique radio talent. And I think people tuned in to hear him say what he was going to say, both um, in sports, but maybe even more than that, uh, about the station. He did a lot of uh, uh, sort of, he walked the edge basically on air. And I think people are attracted to that, or at least enough people are attracted to that. The viewership, the viewership, the radio numbers for WEI really tanked in this last quarter, and then now, um, and now Jerry Callahan's gone. So I realized I just filibustered there, but that's just an overview for you to uh, give the listeners a sense of of how you see all this playing out heading forward, and and what to make of the fact that uh, Callahan, who was a big player in this market for two decades, is now out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm with you on Jerry in terms of uh, sort of worldview. You know, his political views are probably the polar opposite of mine. And I think a lot of um, stuff that they didn't set on that show sort of reflected badly on the Boston market. But there's no denying a, a couple of things. He was a, a, a huge radio talent, and he still will be. He'll, he'll have good opportunities. But it, 22 years uh, of walking the line on a, sports radio station as somebody who's an outlier politically in the city. It's remarkable. It's it's incredible that he was able to do it for that long. And I I think it speaks to his talent and his ability to recognize uh, what was going to work, what wouldn't work, what you could say, what you couldn't say. Minahan was more of a meteor. Um, Their ratings were two years ago were phenomenal when he was there. Uh, Now they were, I wish I had checked before I came on, but I think they were either fourth or fifth, uh, this book without him this spring, which came out last week, I think it was a six, five is a pretty solid, uh, the two ma- two major sports radio stations here. The other one, uh, 985, the sports hub, uh, beat them pretty handily. And, uh, w- at the height of Minahan and Callahan's run, which wasn't long, but it was really successful. Um, it was back and forth and, and Kirk and Jerry had their, uh, had significant, significant victories in there. So they resonated with a, a uh, certain part of this audience in a really uh, impressive way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's it, it was inevitable that it was going to come to this with Kirk just because he was constantly towing the line and, and you figured something, you know, he, he would say or do something that uh, uh, led to them having to make a change. But Jerry was somebody who, who probably towed the line a little bit better other than, you know, a pretty famous incident 16 years ago or 13 years ago he, he never really came close to that again so uh it's it's shocking to see him out i mean 
1997, the landscape was so much different here that uh, Howard Stern was still on the radio. Uh, they went head-to-head with him for a little while when Jerry and John Dennis started together. Uh, they replaced Imus on WEI, and, and the fabulous sports babe is something you never hear of uh, at all anymore. And they had this just a, a really long run at uh, number one or number one or number two for a long time. And so it's, 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 it's going to take an adjustment not to hear Jerry on that show anymore. They're moving over a show from uh, the rock radio station that, uh, you know, doesn't really compete with them in the ratings in, in the men 2554 demo. So I'm not sure what kind of impact they're expecting there. Uh, I think they're going to tilt back towards mostly sports talk, which I don't know if that's what their audience expects or wants. So uh, it's a pretty seismic change for WEI, uh, just, just having Jerry uh, no longer there, let alone what they're replacing him with. And uh, it's, I don't know what their expectation is, but it's, it's not going to come close to the ratings that they got in the heyday. I know that. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing is just on its own, the number that they get is phenomenal. I mean, make no mistake. Uh, Boston sports talk in Boston is incredible. And the fact that you could have two stations, you know, putting up yeah. those numbers and that demo in the top 10 is remarkable, but it is in comparison to what they were just a short time ago. Um, last one for me, Chad is, um, do you think any of these changes are dictated by uh, any of the teams, uh, the, 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 especially the Red Sox, like that EEI has been pretty critical, the Red Sox or that show has been particularly critical, or do you think this comes from management uh, um, deciding to uh, make its changes? Uh, you know, I've, listen, we've all lived in this world, Chad, in terms of being in the media. Uh, people with high salaries who've worked at a place for a long time are often always first on the chopping block. You know, if you're going to get a certain rating with somebody who makes much less money, that's generally the way of the world. Um, how much do you think it has to do with, I guess I would ask you any outside forces behind this or something else? It seems that way. I mean, that's certainly their contention. That, uh, and, and I know some of it is true that um, uh, one, uh, I don't know what you'd call him, I guess. Uh, I mean, here's somebody who listened to the station a uh, powerful, uh, rich guy in the in the market, and took umbrage with some things that they said about transgender kids, and uh, he went after the advertisers and was relentless about it, and it had a really significant effect. Um, I don't know if that ultimately played into Jerry leaving, though. It certainly did with Kirk, but uh, uh, you know, Jerry's somebody who was practical. You know, he 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 could be a, a absolutely contentious host, uh, but he also is somebody who recognized the, the realities of the business. And, you know, he stayed on after Kirk left. They tried it with a different uh, mix on the show, and it it wasn't the same show. It was did not have the same impact by, by any stretch, but uh, he, he remained and gave it a shot. And uh, I think he, he, you know, he talked sports more often than not uh, before Kirk got there. I mean, there's some politics to John Dennis, but, um, you know, still – still quite a bit of sports show and they have Tom Brady on and things like that. Uh, I think it would have, you know, it would have been all right with Jerry, but, uh, uh, feels like, uh, there definitely were some external forces, at least in terms of going after their advertisers that had an impact. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know the extent of that or the depths of that, but, uh, I think there definitely was a response from intercom to that. Last one, Chad, um, Celtics with Kemba Walker. How many games did they win in the regular season? Uh, 
upper 40s. I, I imagine they're right around the same spot they were this year. But the, the thing that, that really hurts the Celtics is Al Horford going to Philadelphia. That guy did everything for the Celtics. Uh, defensive stopper, guard a bunch of different guys, uh, ran the pick and roll on offense. He's one of those guys you see every day. You really appreciate him. Uh, they have nothing like that now, and now he's with a rival. So, uh, Celtics will be fun. They'll be a more likable team because Kyrie was a, a poisonous force in a lot of different ways over the course of the season. But uh, and, and Kemba Walker has a reputation as a great teammate. But uh, Al Horford is the blow that's really going to kind of keep the Celtics in the middle in the in the uh, Eastern Conference rather than near the top. Yeah, so Al Horford is great. Uh, uh, he's one of those guys that just makes you know so many good plays. I'm fascinated yeah, to help see every team. Yeah, any team yeah. would love to have him. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see uh, uh, Raptors post Kawhi uh, where they land versus the Celtics bringing Kemba in but losing Horford. It should be. Uh, I feel like those two teams could be very, very similar in terms of a regular season record. Maybe we'll even see them match up uh, in the playoffs. Uh, Chad Finn is the sports media writer and uh, comments for the Boston Globe, giving us a couple of minutes. Uh, at the end of our boxing roundtable. Chad, always good to catch up with you. I'm sure we will talk soon. Thanks uh, for coming on the Sports Media Podcast today. All right, pal. Take care. See ya. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to um, Lance Pugmire and Mike Coppinger, my colleagues at The Athletic, for uh, some insight into uh, how to cover boxing in 2019. I appreciate them coming on and, uh, and educating, hopefully, you and certainly me. Chad Finn. Stopping by for a couple quick minutes on uh, some quick sports media things. Previous podcast guests include Conrad Thompson and Chris Herring. That was last week. Conrad Thompson is uh, the most uh, successful wrestling podcaster in this country with four very, very popular podcasts. And so he came on. Chris Herring talked about all the free agency movement and how that was covered. Before that, Bob Lee. Before that, uh, John O'Rand and James Andrew Miller. Uh, and then just go down the list from uh, Taylor Twelman to uh, Taylor Rooks, Jim Ross, uh, Adnan Verk, Mike Lombardi. And uh, you can get all of uh, uh, the conversations we have had on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Uh, check those out. Please leave us a review. That is how the podcast stays. All right. My thanks to Terrence Malagone, my uh, producer. Thanks to uh, Cadence 13. And we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.